This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Zach Weisberg founded and runs TheInertia.com, a website that features a wide variety of surf content, from surf trip photo features to breaking news stories. What's unique about The Inertia is that it's mainly comprised of user-submitted content. What's even more unique is that some of those users are Kelly Slater, Rob Machado, Tom Curran, and Jerry Lopez, just to name a few. And perhaps even cooler, it's not just famous surfers that contribute. They accept and publish submissions from anyone. Essentially, the Inertia is a platform for most talented surfers around the world to share their work. Whether it is Kelly Slater, from its athletes, professional surfers, to talented photographers, artists, writers, um, they all use the site as a platform to, to share what they're doing. So there's a huge spectrum of content that gets contributed. Um, like I said, from kind of tastemakers and really well-respected individuals like Kelly or Rob Machado, or the CEO of the Surfrider Foundation, to you know kids in college who take photos and um, are really talented. Maybe you haven't heard of them yet, mm-hmm. but a, a lot of a lot of times, the kind of talent is discovered through through the website. Zach grew up surfing on the East Coast. He went to college at Duke, worked a couple of internships in the surf industry in Southern California, and eventually he went to work at Surfer Magazine. He replaced our friend Scott Bass as the director of digital content at a time where that was still just an emerging platform. I kind of got introduced to Orange County and Newport and just the whole surf industry, and I was just floored. I, I just couldn't believe that you could make a living like that. It was just crazy to me. Yeah. That wasn't a, it's not like a viable option like really where I grew up and I was like, well, that's amazing. I want to do that yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know? Ended up interning at Surfer okay. Magazine for Scott Bass and that ended up being really great because they were so, um, you know, he needed so much, they all needed so much help mm-hmm. and I was so excited and eager to help out with whatever they needed, you know? And so I just plugged in and ran with it, and it suited me, I think, maybe a little bit better in that I was studying English, and so I was able to write for them immediately. The tired cliche of, when one door closes, another one opens, could be used to describe Zach's launching of the inertia. But it'd be more appropriate to say that defending an ideal is what propelled Zach down the path that he's been forging for the past four years. That's where we'll begin today's episode of Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. Thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you.
Yeah, so, well, I mean, I left Surfer, like, I've been running their website for three years, um, kind of in Bass's shed, mm -hmm. carrying his torch, you know, as best sure. he could, and, um, and I think a time just kind of came where I needed to, um, I needed to, like, evolve a bit, like, whether it was move into a larger role or, and, you know, at the time, like, I kind of wrote in that, that, uh, that most recent piece, it just, like, wasn't a very important element of the business. For um, them. Right, the, the, the website, web. the yeah, digital. Yeah. Um, and I was always aware that at some point that was going to change, that would transition, and that the, the place that I, you know, was in was, like, at some point, it'd be a, a really great place to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I finally just, I couldn't wait any longer. And um, I think that what you're probably referring to is like, there was like somewhat of an inciting incident. Like, yeah. Um, but I had already chosen to like move on. I kind of oh, already no. put in my two weeks and like I, I'd written what happened, I guess it's also with relation to, to Chaz Smith's right. articles. He had written a piece of for stab about Mick Fanning, um, where Mick Fanning and him had an exchange where at some point Mick called him like an effing Jew, right. and uh, that got deleted and censored from from uh, newsstands, and it got I, uh, censored by Stab Magazine. After the fact, from what I remember, that issue was recalled from newsstands. Okay, which is a really big deal. Um, to take a magazine off newsstands after it goes out. Yeah, because it got recalled because Chaz used the quote effing Jew at, that was attributed to Mick Fanning. From what I understand, got you know, and I'm sure there are some type of legal recall. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. all of the behind the scenes around it. Okay. But what happened, what, I thought that was really interesting news, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I chose to write about it, and that came at a time where, you know, there were kind of a lot of, whether they're just kind of like bigoted or shocking, just kind of shocking headlines were making their way around the surf, like, blogosphere, whatever even that means. Yeah. Um, like, I was like, when Lewis was doing post-surf, and like a lot of, you know, and uh, Stab, and they'd done like a fascist issue. Right. Like, they let off with like Mein Kampf, and like, this is... Just kind of some heavy stuff going around that, like, that, that article I felt like was a good uh, opportunity to have an interesting discussion, like, you know, about just, like, what's going on, like, as far as race relations and sort of the language we're using, you know, because especially in Southern California, it's a pretty much, like, homogenous white kind of blonde thing, and yeah. the language you're using to discuss whether it's race or culture, it's something we should be aware of. And so the piece I wrote just kind of brought that to our people's attention. I was like, you know, it's not, it's not cool. It's not hip. Like it's not ironic to be racist, and it's irresponsible to distribute like a magazine with swastikas and whatever to to these kids without any context or any, you know, any care for uh, like how that information is like, packaged. Yeah. Um, so that's what I wrote, and then, you know... You the, wrote it for Surfer Magazine. for Surfer, yeah. I'm telling this in the... The way I'm going about telling this is terrible. It's okay. Um, it makes sense. Kind of. Yeah. It's like really circuitous, though. But, so I wrote a piece called Diversity in Surfing. We need more of it. Okay. And it was like, the, the basic premise was just it's not cool to be racist. Like, surfers aren't as a blanket, like, racist, and like, you know, just think about it. Yeah. It's pretty innocuous. The messaging, in my opinion, and um, when it initially went up, it got like more comments and like discussion and feedback than really anything that we had, I had published online in the past three years. And like a lot of people wrote in, like, thank you, you know, like Sean Thompson was like, that was thank you guys for writing that, you know. Um, and like we got a lot of praise, and initially everyone was like, yeah, good job, like that was awesome that you did that. And then a, a day later, I got a call, and Zach, can you take that down? Call from who? The magazine, yeah, the people up in the magazine? It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't remember who called me, but... But they approved yeah. it initially. Well, I ran the website, and I just okay. kind of... <laughs> <laughs> because it was, that's kind of how the website... You know, there was not a... Uh, you didn't need to get approval. There was approval. not a, a protocol, per se. Um, gotcha. Was, 
you know, there was no military protocol on how content was published on the site. Gotcha. So, right, I was like, you need to take this down. And um, I was like, why? And like, you, just, you just need to. It's not going to be good for, like, you know, people might lose jobs or this or that. And, like, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, it says just not to be racist, you know. Um, and they're like, well, it's got to come down. Like, as a business, we just have to take it down. And they're like, so can you take it down? I was like... And so I just said no. <laughs> and, I, and I had already, you know, I had already chosen, known that I was going another way. And um, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure that some of the things that you do on this earth matter. And like, there are not that many opportunities to like make any type of kind of principled stand in working in surfing. But yeah. like, this is one that I feel passionate enough about that like it doesn't make any sense to me right if they if whoever it is wants to pull their money from us like where else are they gonna advertise like they'll be back in a like yeah they'll be back in a yeah, month yeah. i mean obviously that's not a financial decision for me to make sure for a business but where i was looking at it at the time of like a 24 year old uh you know idealistic I, right. kid i'm like forget that yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do it. Like, you can get someone else to do it. Right. I'm not going to do that. And um, so they took it down. And I was like, all right, good. I think that's, like, I'd probably need to, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm, I need to go somewhere else. And if, and I think and in a lot of ways to get back to your question, like that event, you know, that really kind of distilled in, in a lot of ways the essence of what I wanted to create. And that's a space that we can be honest. Yeah. Not, not for... Not out of a desire to be salacious, um, but just to, you know, provide a level of journalism and, uh, you know, free discussion and communication because it's, I mean, none of the stuff is really that important. Yeah. Um, Surf content in general. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, Do you feel that, like, racism or prejudice is prevalent in surfing? Um, well, you can answer that, but also, yeah. I guess additionally, like my thought on surfer not wanting to publish that is probably more to do with them just not wanting to be controversial, period. Not so much to do with taking a stand against your ideal or for your ideal. You know, they probably just want to placate everybody and not be controversial. That's right. what I would think. Right, right. Um, so, but, you know, I'm not, I don't think that they're uh, pulling it down in defense of, of prejudice or oh, something like no, that, totally. obviously. But just as a whole, do you feel that the sport, you're right, it is homogenized in Southern California. I surfed this morning and I only saw white people surfing, you know what I right. mean? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think in any way it's like an inherently <laughs> racist or prejudiced sport. No, yeah. definitely not. I mean, there's a couple of different questions in, in that. Yes, there are. As far as what was going on with that specific article, I think it's very clear that it was just like, it was a business interest that overrode an editorial interest or mm-hmm. branding, like an identity interest. Um, and that, you know, I don't, I didn't run that business. Sure. You know, and, and it's interesting too because, you know, now I run this one and we're growing and I like, and now I'm being, now I'm in a position where like these types of op- like challenges are being, you know, I have to deal with them from a way that I have to keep the business running. Yet we need to um, maintain the level of integrity that that I want to have associated with with the inertia. Right. And it's really challenging. Yeah. Um. So in some ways, I think I was probably unfair in how I simplified that. In other ways, like I still feel the same exact way. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. As far as like racism or bigotry and surfing. I, I don't I think that that's probably overwrought. I think that in Southern California I think in pockets of like surf industry, there's maybe more homogeneity than anywhere else in the in where surf exists. Yeah. You know, like in Orange County and then maybe like um like Gold Coast or whatever. It's like that's there's a very similar type of Unless, and this is being like super sweeping in generalization, and it's not always true. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's kind of one of the things that I was like honing in on. Um, 
is that it's weird to have these conversations when everyone around you looks like you and there's no one like in a minority to kind of speak up or, or uh, bring a different perspective to the table. Right. And so that's one of the things I really like about the inertia is that we have like, you know, lawyers from Cornwall right in or like photographers from Lisbon or it's really diverse. I, yeah. Right. It's really in, in my mind, I think it's like everyone, you know, yeah. like everyone kind of gets to create the culture. You talked about um, when you did have that article published for a couple of days with Surfer that Sean Thompson was one of the guys who emailed you. Mm -hmm. You're Jewish, obviously. He's Jewish, obviously. And um, can you talk about how that relationship developed and helped launch the inertia? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was just... uh, Obviously, that was something that he thought was important. And, uh, you know, he's a very principled ambassador of surfing um, you know he was involved you know during apartheid he um, took in Eddie and like you know, is, he's been involved in, in, a, in a lot of more serious like, ra- like racially charged things and, and he's just a great guy and um, yeah he reached out about that and that was kind of one of the first instances we ever interfaced with each other and then I reached out to him when I started this because I'd love to have him as a contributor to it. And he did, which is awesome. And we've just kept in touch. And I think in the most recent kind of uh, event, opportunity, kind of collaboration we had was around his book, uh, The Code. Mm-hmm. And he threw a great event. He wrote a really awesome book about it, about the things he learned you know, from losing his son. And so that's been an, an awesome relationship. Right. He's, def- he's definitely... A surfer and an ambassador who has a lot of depth. Right. And then there's all types of varying degrees, and like everybody has something to offer. Yeah. And some people are just more excited about really sharing whether like themselves and what they believe in and who they are. And and I think that that's like, you know, that's the most valuable thing that you can do. You know. Yeah. And but it's got to be validation for you looking to launch this new thing and to be able to have somebody like that kind of support you in that endeavor. I would think. Yeah, no, that was amazing. I mean, we tried to get, we tried to get as many kind of influencers and people that right, that the surf world respected, involved as I could from the start. And mm-hmm. uh, he was one of the the early adopters, and it's kind of just you know snowball from there. And yeah. it's still you know yeah, there's still people that we need to get involved that aren't involved yet. Sure. Um, but it's, it's grown a lot, so. For sure it has. Yeah. Um, all the kind of industry advertising dollars, I guess, have been funneled through very few media outlets traditionally over the past few decades, you know, a couple of magazines essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, what has the response to the inertia been from the industry since you guys have launched? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a good qu- I mean, when we initially launched, like, I, re- I wanted to work more with non-endemic brands just okay. to ensure that we had the kind of editorial liberties that uh, that I wanted the site to have. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of been a slow migration. Like now we're at the size that it doesn't make sense for us to not work with any surf brand. It like just doesn't, from our perspective, we're there. It's like we're reaching half a million, like nearly half a million people monthly. They're all surfers. And I think the site is kind of it's created a place for itself, you know? Yeah. Um, I definitely think that the initial attitude that we began the site with didn't, like, do us any favors in kind of building those relationships necessarily, but, uh, you know, the, that's uh, that's all fluid, and and I think, you know, we, we've, we've started working with a couple surf companies, but they're not all on board yet. Yeah. But I, at, at the moment, I don't I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be, and why we can't work together in a healthy way. Right. You know, because we have, I feel like we've kind of created our identity, and that's like... Yeah. It's a unique identity. Right, there'll be a lot of people on here, like, sharing the things that matter most to them, and like, and that's a, uh, it's like pretense-free environment that I think is pretty refreshing. But hopefully that, I, I hope that, you know, they'll be part of it, because they can be. And it doesn't, I would think that, um, from an advertiser standpoint, what you're doing doesn't conflict with the mainstream outlets of pa- the past, you know, traditional outlets in that you guys, it's different, it's a different thing entirely. Like you guys are kind of user submitted content versus their strictly 
editorial content, you know? Yeah. So I don't see any conflict for the advertiser, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about just quality of surf riding in general. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of of the opinion that the quality of surf riding is pretty low in, in general as it exists. Uh, I think Matt Warshaw does a great job with kind of historical writing. Mm -hmm. We talked about Chas Smith. His book was entertaining. Um, You've mentioned Lewis Samuels. His commentary is always entertaining, you know, but it's pretty short form. Um, Surfer's Journal probably deserves credit for quality writing, but otherwise editor editorial and journalistic surf writing is pretty bland and it's also very redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that that's true? And like, what what's your reason? Why do you think that it is that way? Yeah. Is or isn't? Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know if it's like a unique challenge necessarily to surf writing. It's just like. Good writing is just valuable and sometimes hard to come by. It is, know? yeah. Um, and I don't think necessarily that surfing attracts um, people who are aspiring to extremely ambitious writing careers. So that could potentially be, you know, explain that phenomenon to a degree. But but if you look at really any type of media, there's always like a five ten percent of people creating original content, whether it's like in entertainment, whether it's in politics, whether it's what, it's like, that was really well written, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Like that is a very distinct tone, voice, point of view, and it's good. Right. The veracity of that idea, like goes back to the idea that people don't want to ruffle feathers. Because te- I think the other thing that makes great writing is tension. Um, tension and honesty. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to, in my mind, be honest, like which is means being vulnerable or being, um, you know, really it's just being vulnerable and willing, being willing to share of yourself to a degree where somebody can be like, you're a kook, like you, you're right. an idiot, or like, yeah. or that's lame, like you cared about that, but you just do it because you don't care because that's your voice and like you know your voice and you put it out there, and then you don't. Or you're willing to accept the ramifications of being like, I don't like what this guy does, or I don't like what that brand does, and and you have to be okay with it, whether that guy's gonna hate you or that brand's gonna hate you, and uh, those are two things that I think require a lot of courage. Yeah. And um, you know, like for an industry or job where like really the the point of it is to go surfing in beautiful places around the world, like. Yeah. <laughs> you have to decide which one's more important to you or whether you can make them coexist. So It also seems like because um, there were only a few mainstream publications prior to the internet and being able to self-publish, mm-hmm. everything being funneled through that, you didn't want to ruffle feathers. And so, um, I don't know, the writing just had this kind of limited scope or lim- limited kind of latitude that it could express just had to fit this kind of very specific and redundant goal to please those people who are running those magazines who are, you know, uh, loyal to their advertisers, essentially. Which is kind of the head that it came to with you working there, you know, and then all of this ended up happening after that. Um, You talked, in that, that last piece that you wrote, You talked about, you said, quote, my ambition as a writer began to outsize what was acceptable in our industry. Have you been able to express those ambitions here, you know, and and been able to cultivate that in the community that of submitters? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah, I mean, because when the first articles, some of the first articles I wrote for the site, like I wrote this whole thing, like whether it was for not or what, like investigating like bigotry and surfing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if that was a fool's errand or what, but I felt like I needed to do it. Sure, <laughs> so it needed it. to be said, yeah. Uh, you know, and like whether to what degree that was successful, I don't know, but like I felt like I needed to do it. Yeah. Um, and so for the most part, I feel like I've said in anything, like my, my perspective on things has just evolved a little bit. Like I, I'm not... And it's one of the things I really love about having the site is like I'm really also very interested in like just the business of journalism and being like a steward of 
of, uh, you know, of its evolution in a digital space. Mm-hmm. And I also love writing, mm-hmm. and I get to participate in it when I, when I choose to. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm very much interested in, like, building this kind of platform and a business that's sustainable. Um, so I'm, I personally am less interested in, like, going and doing these, like, exposés or whatever. Um, but initially when I started, like, I was getting fired up on that, you know, and, and I did quite a few of them. And, um, and so, yeah, I think in that regard, I, I was able to do that. And, I mean, because at that time, like, right before I left, I was able to write, I got to write for, like, the New York Times and Esquire and, and Oprah. And I was like, fuck this, like, I can write, for, you know, I can, yeah. I want to be a great writer, period. Um, Let me ask then, you. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No. Um, so quality writing is important to you, obviously, and it's yeah. important to the inertia. Given that you guys have a lot of user-submitted content of people who may not have a background in writing, mm-hmm. I would think that you'd probably get a lot of crappy submissions, essentially. Um, is there a danger in that? You know, Are those two goals of wanting quality writing and wanting user-submitted content, are those conflicting goals? Um, I think... At times, they can be at odds, yeah. definitely. And but it's also part of the like of the the tenet of, of welcoming a diversity of perspectives. You know, all with varying degrees of writing capabilities. And our editors do as best we can to to make sure it's all at a level that is fit for publication. Sure. Um, uh, but that said, it's you know sometimes people get in touch and it's like oh that idea wasn't quite fleshed out enough or you know. Maybe it needs this or this, or it's just not quite there. Whether it's you know with photographers as well, and it's like, thank you so much for getting in touch. You know we're psyched that you read and want to participate in and keep in touch. You know mm-hmm. like this this right now doesn't quite fit, or you know or make these improvements. So yeah, there is there is a a level of curation and kind of um, yeah you know stewardship I guess there that yeah. Um, When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I'm wondering too, this conversation's come up with Scott and I where I feel like with surf photography, for example, Mm -hmm. our exposure to it was so limited up until the 90s where it was just in a couple of magazines and there was a real value placed on that imagery. Yeah. And... um, And then Art Brewer, I saw something that he said recently, which was like, the last memorable surf photo was Laird Hamilton's Millennium Wave Mm -hmm. in Tahiti. That was it. That was the end of an era because now everything is so rapid fire. 
And the reality is, like, the quality is really good still. You know, go to Chris Burkhardt's Instagram feed, and three times a day you see unbelievable imagery. Yeah. But it's all just kind of white noise now because it's just everywhere. You see so much of it. And I think that the same could be said for surf uh, video content too. We see tons of new edits every single day. With writing, I don't think it's quite the same. Like we might see a lot of writing, but not all of it is high quality. And so there's an opportunity that exists to really uh, cultivate that and for that to be maybe a new push and a new renaissance in kind of the surf uh, world or the surf evolution where it's just like quality writing could be the next thing, you know? Yeah. There's never been a real big premium placed on it and there's really never been a, a big demand for it or whatever, but yeah, I think that people care. And I think that the customer base has been undervalued for a long time. We just think that the readers are stupid. We think that they're Spicoli. So we, we kind of pander to that Spicoli ideal. Right. But I really think that the intelligent viewers are out there you know and with the podcast i get emails from people and they are intelligent and they have real jobs and they drive to work and that's where they're listening to it you know they're working nine to five they're not so they're out there you know but i'm wondering if um yeah like if somebody really you guys you know take it other whoever takes it very seriously i think the readership is there i guess i'll form it in a question um when you have long form things on the inertia that are multiple pages long, thousands of words, yeah, how are those? Uh, do those receive as many readers and views as something that's short form? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's totally totally varies. Okay, I mean to your point though, um, I th- that's actually a really interesting thought that I think I've always maybe subconsciously had that the right the value of writing is is undervalued and uh and it's not be it's not becoming any more prevalent you know yeah like the scarcity principle that i guess people are reaching with photos it doesn't so much happen with writing no um which is just an interesting thought <laughs> in well, itself i'll see sean doherty's stuff that he'll write yeah about oftentimes it's like a contest recap and i open up the link and it's really long and i'm like if this was anybody else, I wouldn't read it. Right. But with him, I'll commit 10 minutes, mm-hmm. which isn't really that long, you know. But, um, but I'll read it because it's so well written, you yeah. know. And I, I think that um, those people are out there. You yeah. Know? And I'd say, like, Surfer's Journal, they're a yes. they did a writing emphasis. And, you know, I'd even say, like, Stab did, too. Like, even, I think they still do as much as they can. Totally. Like, they have a point of view, and it's cool. Um, but as far as what performs well... It can be very disappointing sometimes. Really? Yeah. We'll, we'll invest a lot of time and energy in some things, you know? Yeah. And then we'll post a video of, like, like a sailboat catching a wave. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that thing just got viewed 150,000 times. And then this, like, really nuanced piece of that's, like, heart and soul, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it does well and sometimes it doesn't. And you know what's really interesting about that? Um that I think is a really relevant topic is like no one's gonna read a like a Pulitzer winning whatever it is if it doesn't have the appropriate title and image associated with it okay like it's just not gonna happen and that's why a lot of people really do a lot of research into like how you position your content yeah and that's something that we're really uh, honing in on um because what's the point of writing something like that if no one's going to read it? Right. You know? And that's something that, like, places like Upworthy and, like, Huffington Post, like, they're all about, like, understanding um, how to get people to look at your content. Yeah. Which, that's the business, and that's, sure. and that's the service you're providing, so you owe it to not only your contributors, but also to your readers Yeah. to uh, ensure that your best content gets seen. Um... In the piece that you released last week entitled, I guess, This Is Growing Up, you said that in September 2010, theinertia.com received 3,618 unique visits. Last month, March 2014, it received nearly half a million. Um, How does half a million unique visitors compare with other surf sites? And then how does that compare with traditional print? 
yeah. uh, uh, circulation. Yeah. You know, honestly, I'm not sure on print circulation. Oh, okay. Um, but as far as digital goes, um, you know, we're not quite at half a million. We're very close. Yeah. Um, but we essentially just surpassed Surfing Magazine's reach, um, depending on sources, too. Sure. You know? Um, and Stab Magazine, um, surfers, but they're, they're like maybe from what I've gathered a little bit ahead is maybe a little more than half a million uniques a month. And then surf lines, um, you know, they're in the million, million and a half range. Okay. Um, as far as uniques monthly from the third party data that I've been able to glean. Yeah. Um, totally. And then a lot of that's publicly available too. Like if you check out places like similarweb.com or others, like you can, you can compare sites side by side. Um, but I guess maybe the, the more interesting point is just the rate of growth that we've seen has just been crazy. Um, yeah. it hasn't, it hasn't been linear in that respect. Like the last six to nine months we've grown, gosh, I mean, maybe like last March or something like 200,000 page views a month or something. And now we're approaching like 4 million, you know, so that's just in the past year. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited about, you know, keeping it going. Yeah. Um, and continuing that, that growth. Absolutely. That, that trajectory. couple questions about revenue. We yeah. kind of brushed on it. Fans, viewers, just people in general, they want content, obviously. They're more than willing to read stuff that you give them for free. Right. But they don't want to sit through advertisements. I think Facebook pioneered... They probably pioneered the real interesting strategy of just like developing a huge viewership and a huge membership mm -hmm. before ever even putting into place a revenue model. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they've also struggled a lot to gain acceptance of their revenue model from that membership base. Mm -hmm. um, what's that, that kind of looked like for the inertia as you guys have tried to implement um, a revenue model. Yeah, well, I mean, thus far it's it's been almost entirely advertising, you know, through whether it's through partnerships or, or banners or, um, you know, we've done some things that have been co-branded content that have been really cool, mm -hmm. and and that's how it's been. I think like there's a possibility at some point in the future that we could have a set of premium content, you know, that, oh, okay. that would require some type of a payment or membership in order to access. But for the moment, you know, we just, we're interested in building an audience. That, that's, uh, that's the most valuable thing is to have people reading and, and like consuming and, and interfacing and engaging with, with the things that, that we create. So honestly, Revenue has not been the primary concern. It's the two, like, we haven't raised any money. Um, we've just grown very modestly within our means. Yeah. Like, as, as our audience increases, like, our, our, our partnerships and our advertising has increased, and they've just gone together, you know? Mm -hmm. like, and, uh, you know, there hasn't been some crazy huge capital injection or, right. or even a really... Um, inordinate focus on bringing in cash because the product uh, it has to be there for it to, you have to create a valuable experience and you have to create a valuable experience for readers as well as for the, the partners who want to be you know, supporting you okay let me ask you yeah. specifically because um, I've seen like I've uh, been a reader of the inertia for mm -hmm. a while now and then I've seen more recently kind of direct advertising like with a, a gap post mm -hmm. on the Instagram feed yeah and Nine out of ten of the comments are talking crap about, hey, why are you guys advertising Gap here? Yeah. You know, a shame on you, essentially. Right. What's your, um, I guess, what is the value of that comment section? Do you take that feedback to heart and adjust your direction moving forward? And do you bring that to the Gap and just say, hey, this plan that we originally had, I'm getting flack for it. Can we adjust this moving forward? Like, what does that relationship look like for you guys? You know, how do you how do you adjust? That's a good. That's actually an interesting point. Um, with that specific, like campaign and, and client, it's like they had an idea. They wanna they wanna support us, and um, I mean, 
we can integrate their product in a way that it allows us to live. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we're going to try to figure out a way to do it. Of course. And um, so, and I don't think in any way that like um, jeopardizes or the journalistic integrity. It's like a, it's a photo of a person wearing an item of clothing that says it's <laughs> sponsored by that, you know. Of course. And, uh, and they want to support us, you know, so... Well, the the uh, motive feedback. Yeah, go ahead. The motivation for the brand to earn revenue, I think, makes perfect sense. Like I, I don't question that at all. Everybody yeah, yeah, knows yeah. a brand needs to make money. It's an it's an essential part of right. the business model. But it's kind of like the viewers almost don't seem to understand that. You know, like the right. client base that you're dependent on to keep the site running isn't willing to acknowledge that fact and right. so you almost have to trick them into viewing the content almost you know uh, it's just like a really tricky little uh, right uh, no it's it well, yeah because like you said content is made available for free like anyone who's consumed like thousands of articles on the website looked at the pictures or whatever like they haven't paid a cent and right and uh that's fine but we do need to make, in order to continue doing what we're doing, like, you understand this, you know, we need to get paid somehow. Um, and as far as, I, I think with th with that campaign in particular, I, I think that with, it's ironic because I think that any kind of non-endemic, especially non-endemic fashion or apparel brand that's going to get involved in the space, they're not going to receive a warm welcome. Oh, really? Yeah, I, well, I think it takes a different mindset of a surfer to to accept a brand beyond Quicksilver or Lee Billabong or you know, yeah, just because those are the those are the brands that build like this whatever the surf industry and they you know they create everything that is authentic sure. for the whatever that means right. to to the sport to surf. Yeah. Um, and so there's just like an inherent skepticism to an outside brand getting involved. Like Samsung sponsoring the ASP World mm -hmm. Tour. You know, people are like, Samsung? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? What's, what's wrong with Samsung enabling professional surfing to ascend to, you know, whatever level it's capable of? If they're going to provide that level of support, and accept it. And yeah, we as viewers benefit from it, right. from the money they infuse to it. But then there's also, you know... Surfing is not like basketball or a sp we're all competing for waves. And so the bigger the sport gets, like the only people I guess who are excited about the industry growing are those who work within it. So that's I think that's yeah, also maybe part, so. like when Nike was part of surfing, you know, there are probably two very firm camps. It's like this is terrible. Yeah. Why would you want to grow surfing? And the other person's like, this is amazing. The sky's the limit. Look, the biggest and most successful storytelling and product brand and on earth is part of surfing. You right. know, and there's there's always going to be like that dichotomy. What's funny that I don't think the the community, the surfing community, meaning the people who actually surf that don't work in the industry, I think what they're oblivious to is that Quicksilver sells far more product to non-surfers than they do surfers. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they sell their product in department stores across the world, the majority of which aren't near a coastline, you know? Yeah. And so those advertisers, you would think those non-endemic advertisers would, they probably do see that value in that surfing penetrates global market, not just the coastline markets. And so... There is value in advertising in places like the Inertia or the ASP World Tour. Yeah. Um, so it's weird that the surfers kind of don't just recognize that. Like, this ad isn't necessarily for me, the guy who's paddling out every morning, but there's seven out of ten board shorts are sold to kids in the middle of the country right. who are never going to uh, use them in the ocean. Right. You know? Yeah. And I don't know what those numbers are, but I would imagine they're pretty close to that. You know? The biggest growth opportunities for all of the the brands are not within the core like that it's such a small subset of yeah of the buying population yeah so does that so what is the outlook for the inertia do you guys um does it dissuade you when you see those comments hating the gap ad you know that you just posted or do you yeah you know i don't know exactly how i feel about it because at the moment, like we, we, 
that's a partnership that will enable us to do the things that we love and find valuable. Right. Um, and I think it's harmless for the most part. I, don't, Those, I, I, I do. I don't, I don't see... I really... I have a hard time seeing how it's poisonous or or toxic or hurtful, really. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I'd be willing to entertain an argument around it. I don't have one. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, agree I, I think it just enables, you know, it allows like Ted Indo or whoever to write in like one of the best piece you've ever read or, or us to produce a, like a, a really meaningful video that like it's gonna connect. Um, Let me phrase yeah, it this way. Yeah. What is the value of the comment section? I think what, on Instagram? Everywhere. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, and on your website. Because oh, so you like a, yeah, okay. you, you um, kind of began the conversation about the Surfer Magazine piece as that was the comment section on that piece was more, you know, had yeah, more yeah. a lot more comments than any other piece I had written in three years. So what is the value of that comment section? Well, I think there's tons of value to I mean that's where the community gets an opportunity to essentially be on the same level as whoever wrote the piece of content. Sometimes yeah. unfairly so and sometimes like sure. for the best. Sure. So it's a matter of of sorting through like spamish, trollish right. type of behavior that's just like consistently saying you suck or this article sorry like you know, because there's always going to be detractors, and that's fine. But then there's also like a lot of people who earnestly engage with it, and right. um, and that's that's amazing. So I think there's always a place for it, and it's like a matter of kind of you know, using better judgment. I think readers and viewers have learned how to discern comment sections mm -hmm. too. Like they know who's just being a troll and who's actually giving insightful feedback. You know, so you almost don't have to even really uh, moderate it so much because right. just the, the reader is savvy enough to understand what's what. Yeah. But my question is, does it um, dictate business practice? You know, when you start reading comments and it, does it then change the way that you... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I... I mean, A, you learn to have a bit of a thicker skin okay. when you publish <laughs> all these... Because... Yeah, for whether sure. Whether found it or not, you know, like I kind of put my arm on my sleeve in writing the like the thing like rewatching the site and people are like you know you suck you're like well I don't know about that <laughs> you know like um but at the same time yeah yeah I mean you have to keep your ear to the ground and listen to people's feedback and whether it makes you second guess exactly what you're doing or it makes you understand better what you're doing um you know it's, it's valuable and it's yeah. crazy like I don't I feel like I have like personal relationships with somebody's comment because I get like it comes in my inbox like every day and I'm like I see you know these people and I've like met some of them so like ran like just ran into a random one of them in, in Hawaii he's like oh is that Ted? like he saw me and Ted and really we started talking and it was it was awesome he contributes to the site too yeah because I've seen you engage in comments too right like you'll yeah, respond to people yeah yeah try to yeah it's what it's it's what the site's based on so I would think that there'd be value there. but it is interesting though like I have friends who have like hundred thousand Instagram followers or whatever and like they're almost like slaves to their Instagram thing and then like, people just fill their thing and they like interact with them all and it's like this weird meta relationship that I don't understand yeah I don't know I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I wouldn't... Have an aside, but. <laughs> I agree that I, I wouldn't understand it if there wasn't somehow revenue attached to it. But there is. Right. You know, there is in that you can advertise on Instagram now and right. you can advertise through social media and, um, and build your personal brand through social media. So for, I would imagine if you have a hundred thousand Instagram followers, your profile has value and mm -hmm. that you're doing something in the public space. And so that's just part of your advertising, you know, right. If you're just doing it strictly to like make friends or chat with people, then that'd be super weird. What's, 
Yeah, well, I mean, are are they? I don't know. I have friends that like build. They have their own personal like celebrity Instagram accounts. It's, I don't understand. Really? Yeah. Like for Alona <laughs> Blanchard, you know, I see the value there. Because... Yeah, yeah. She's, well, that's the that's the weird thing about social media networks and at all is that they're all kind of like a personal branding process. Right. Like whether people acknowledge that or not, mm-hmm. and and it gives me pause when I post anything. I'm like, well. And I think everyone does because they have to think about the type totally. of communication they're engaging in. It's freaking weird. Yeah. No, I've become a lot more, I've edited a lot more kind of what I'm willing to post and what I'm not willing it's to weird. post. Because you're a public, basically what it does is turns every human being into a publisher. Right. So, so we, one thing, yeah. um, I, I interviewed Morgan Mawson a while back for the podcast, the photographer, mm-hmm. surf photographer. And one thing that he said that really stuck out, stuck out to me was, um, what you don't show is just as important as what you show, mm-hmm. you know. And his portfolio of it's what like he has, yeah, totally. He <laughs> said, "Don't hit." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, what he his portfolio, you know, of what he posts online, is very cult, uh, curated. And you look at a lot of other kind of aspiring surf photographers, and it's just like they they got a shop this morning. They're posting it this afternoon. Yeah. You know, and that's dangerous. Yeah. There's always a potential publisher. It's dangerous. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's the new kind of danger, not really. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, there's always a potential employer or an intentional, a potential publisher yeah. who could be viewing your work who's not going to give you that job because you're you're putting out mediocre content. You mm-hmm. know? How, uh, how has your relationship with surfing changed kind of now you're in Southern California. Mm-hmm. You obviously have different access to waves than you did on the East Coast or at Duke, uh, <laughs> and working in the surf industry, obviously. And what's your relationship like with surfing now? How often do you surf and all yeah. that kind of stuff? I mean, it totally varies. I mean, we were in Hawaii for pretty much all December and like the first month or half of January, and that was amazing. Got to surf, you know, mm-hmm. Rockies almost every day. And I got back, and I think I just felt guilty. So I just, and then we had this relaunch and like this platform coming up and hiring new people. So I kind of just put my head down for like, I mean, I surfed maybe once or twice a week. And I live, now I live in, our offices in Venice, we're in LA. So I think automatically, unless, you know, which is very possible, I'm not in on the secrets around here. Like surf quality has dipped a bit. Yeah. Not living in, in Orange County uh, or San Diego, which is where I used to live. Um... And it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It's like, I would rather, at least right now, I would almost rather always be putting my energy towards the website and all the people who depend on it um, to ensure that it's in a good place than in the water. Like, almost always. Really? Yeah. I, I, like it's almost like if uh, the wave, if I'm in the water and the waves aren't good, like I just like, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> like I need to get. And that's a weird thing. This it's like this isn't a this isn't a war. Right, <laughs> I'm running right. a surf website, but it's a passion but I do project. Take it. Well, I mean, it's more than that. I mean, you know, we've got people who depend on on it to live. Yeah. So, and I take that really seriously. And like, I've never. You know, this is a total new journey for me, like having just having a business to support not only myself but other people. So, so it makes my relationship with surfing like really strange. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've I've struggled with that too. Now working in the industry, where um, it is almost like the act of surfing and doing surf-related work gets lumped into just this one thing that is surfing. Right. And so when you wake up in the morning. And you need to fulfill part of your surfing quota for the day. Going to work is kind of the same as going to the beach, you know, where it just fulfills, I I participated in surfing today. And it's not actually getting in the water. Yeah. But I've also found that that you obviously still need to spend time in the water just to kind of cleanse the soul, you know. Oh, totally. And um, so, I don't know, it's a tough relationship to really work out. And I go through phases, too, where it's like, I'll surf a ton sometimes, and sometimes I don't, and they're equally fulfilling. You know, you know what I think has a lot to do with it too is just like getting a good surfboard. <laughs> like, I fully agree. Like I got, we shaped this board like the guys and I a couple of months ago, 
and it's so fun. It's this little mini Simmons, and you know, it just makes it new again, kind of. But uh, that's a great point. When you get a new board that you're excited about, it makes it so much more fun. Anything to just make it feel new. Like, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why body surfing has taken off. You yeah. know, it just there's no pretense about it. You just get right. in and go, and I think that's always a challenge. Is just trying to make it feel new and shouldn't be a challenge to yeah. enjoy surfing. It's, I mean, when, when the waves are amazing with your friends, it's just, yeah. there's nothing better. Um, that actually, one of the things you just said relates to one of my closing questions, which is, what was the last, it's a closing question for everybody I interview, but what was the last surfboard you rode? What are you writing right now? Oh, it was that little mini Simmons we shaped. So did you shape it? Was that for I, the website? When I say shaped, like, I took a pass on it with okay. the, the <laughs> So my buddy Brian Knowles, uh, he has a, a surfboard company called Ride Anything. He let us come in and, and shape with him, and he made it a functional product. Got it. <laughs> and that thing is so fun. Was that a feature for the Inertia? I yeah, seem to remember seeing yeah, it. Yeah, it was on the, our way down to Mexico. And this, right. to, back to your point, this was something that Subaru sponsored. Okay. Was they wanted us to, you know, go do something we had never done mm -hmm. on a trip down to Mexico. Right. So we shaped a surfboard. Okay. And, and then uh, took it down to Max. And that board is so fun. Was it? What size is it and all that kind of stuff? It's like, I think it's like 5'5", five, five, and it's just like a big, it looks like a body board. It's just like a chunk right. of foam. And it's really fun. And then Brian made these little wooden twin fins on the side that he glassed on. And right. it's, uh, it's super fun. Perfect. Um, closing question, you talked about launching the Inertia with a desire to diversify the surf media landscape um, and maybe kind of uh, reverse some prejudice that might exist out there just in the, in the media. Um, you've grown a lot since then, the last four years since you've launched. Do you feel like you've accomplished that goal? Yeah, I think that we've, we've brought a whole new element and the look and idea to the table you know i think there's always been a really heavy and maybe necessary emphasis on style and being rad and <clears throat> that has a place and that's something that we like and think is cool too but i think that in a lot of ways this is a created an outlet that's pretense free full of substance and with, you know a thousand people from all over the world just share of themselves like to an extent on the website and and we're only kind of getting started so have we accomplished that I, I think I think so but I think it's all at the same time I think it's in its like very first incarnation still so so there's a lot more to come sweet yeah thank you yeah thank you absolutely <laughs>
If you do listen in iTunes or Stitcher, make sure to rate and review the show. That helps others to find it. We are solely dependent upon you, our listener, to help grow the show. You are our only form of advertising. So make sure to follow Surf Splendor and share the show on social media. Much like the Inertia, all of our content is free, but you can invest in the show's future by sharing it with a friend. The more listeners we have, the more shows we will be able to produce. We'll be back next week with a recap of the Margaret River event and an episode of Surf News. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor saying thank you for listening and mahalo.